you're listening to episode 30 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara. He's Alex. But I'm not even sure who the Cardinals are anymore. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Now, we are 30 episodes in, as you just heard. And when the Cardinals were 30 games into the season, we felt pretty good about things. 30 games in, 30 episodes rather into the show, Alex, not feeling so hot about things right now as far as the Cardinals are concerned. Coming into tonight's game, of course, we're recording on Tuesday night, as we always do. They were at 500 with the chance to... uh, fall below that mark for the first time in quite a while this year. And they got off to a pretty great start. A couple of home runs in the first inning. And it's been all downhill from there, as has been the case more often than not, it seems. So, Alex, I don't know what it's going to take to feel like they're in a position to actually win a game again. But uh, (laughs) it's not this, that's for sure. When did they last win a game? I I, I can't remember. I guess hard to remember. Uh, yeah, I, they they beat the Braves. I I right recall sort of. Uh, it was overshadowed by what I would call easily the worst loss of the year. Um, usually there's a stiff competition for that, but I, I can't think of anything worse than that loss on Sunday night. That was just bad. Um, I had called the previous Sunday night's game the worst loss of the year. And then this Sunday was. night's game and happened. This one was like five <laughs> times worse. But yeah, um, I, I, maybe yeah. we don't need to rehash, rehash that one because maybe we should just forget about it because there's another game going on right now. But yeah, this game has me on a little bit of high anxiety because, you know, the Cardinals haven't been playing well for now, what, three weeks, I guess. But there's something about falling under 500 that I'm, I'm not quite ready for. Uh, hovering around 500 is bad enough. Uh, uh, meaning hovering above 500, I guess I should say, but falling below, yeah, I it just doesn't look good when you open the paper. Open, the, I'm not looking. I'm not opening any papers much anymore. When you're <laughs> logging on the internet, and look, yeah, I'm looking at the standings. <laughs> it just doesn't look that great. So yeah. I really hope they win this game. Yeah, it's. I don't want to say it's an arbitrary mark because above or below. 500 does matter to some degree, but it is, I mean, that one game difference or that two game swing between being a game under 500 versus a game over 500 doesn't necessarily change much as far as how good of a team you really are. But boy, does it feel different or at least look different when you uh, when you put the numbers together. Have you been uh, watching this game? Were you? Were yes. you OK, so before you got uh, that was the loudest rain I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> at least on a baseball game, at least. Uh, um, that you know I feel about? like. Did you hear that? It sounded like there was like a war going on. Or, or I, I don't know if I had the volume up enough oh, to notice okay. it that significantly, but also that's what the rain has sounded like here every day for like the last nine days. So maybe I'm just immune to that sound at this point. <laughs> Could be. I guess that means it's coming uh, uh, my way soon, I guess. So I should be ready. Uh, yeah. My other Fair comment, warning. My other comment on this game, did you see uh, Bader throw out Harper? I did. Okay. That was one uh, awesome throw. Awesome sequence as like Harper looked like he purposely kind of knocked off his helmet uh, as he was rounding third. Uh, Usually his helmet flies off. um, 
you kind of get the impression it, it it does that because he's running so fast. It doesn't take him having to actually uh, knock it off himself. But this time, he clearly on his own knocked it off. Now, maybe maybe he felt like I need to run as fast as I can at this very moment. And the helmet, uh, for whatever reason, is, you know, it weighs something. So maybe it was, it's well, it's not like, aerodynamic yeah, as it, much as his slicked back hair is. Right, right. so maybe it was <laughs> slowing him down. <laughs> It sounds like we're hating on Harper, but we're not. We like we like Harper. Uh, but he then slid. Uh, Bader throws him out. It was a great throw, great tag, uh, great play all around. Uh, and it just reminded me uh, sort of of the Sam Miller column that he wrote on ESPN, I, I guess like a year ago. Uh, it's not quite the same thing because in Sam Miller's comment, he's uh, talking about a uh, sacrifice fly. And that gives you more time. Uh, to do what I'm about to mention versus a base hit, which is um, what almost scored Harper from second base. But Sam Miller was talking about how the guy had to sacrifice fly, and then he maybe purposely could drop his bat like in the way of where the throw could be coming in. <laughs> so like possibly the throw could hit the bat, um, and then you know I guess uh, go sideways, and then the runner easily scores. Well, uh, in this instance. The bat was in Harper's way. So if, if he was trying some sort of strategic bat toss, which I'm almost positive he was not, but let's say he was, it backfired because it was slightly in Harper's way and he kind of had to go around it to slide. Uh, and so maybe that was the half second or no, split second that made the difference in that play. Yeah, I don't know. That bat? I don't. Okay. I didn't notice the bat. I was mostly still just laughing about throwing the ha- the helmet off. <laughs> well, look at um, the, after uh, I got past third. Look at the Cardinals Twitter account because they they tweeted out like a video of the play nice. soon after it happened, and you'll see the bat right. lying there. So uh, I already forgot who got the hit, but we can maybe thank him for leaving his bat there. He, yeah, he should. Yeah, that was it. Was a great mess better. It was a great sequence. It was a great throw, rather. uh, And I don't want to undersell what Harrison Bader did on that play. But the rest of it is what currently stands out about uh, the entertainment factor for the play, at least. Other than that, I hope they win. Speaking of of entertainment factor, uh, at least, Jack Flaherty is now pinch running for Jed Jerko in this game. So that's a thing. Okay, so my, Um, my TV's on a commercial. It just came back uh jed got a single and then yeah jack flaherty uh, came in to run for him okay so weird but all right i'm not really sure here's the thing about that um it was a single i'm not sure either jack flaherty or jed jerko are gonna score from first on a base hit well so let's think about and believe me i don't think this is a a Huge deal, so I, I don't want this to come off like I'm dumping on Schilt here for a second. But let's imagine a play like we just saw with Bryce Harper. Do we want Flaherty sliding into home plate like right. that? <laughs> I don't. Uh, I, I Yeah, no, that would not be a thing I wanted to see. Um, there are plenty of other reasons to, to pick on Mike Schilt this week, I think. That hopefully will not be one of them. But yeah, a bit odd is- to, uh, to see Jack Flaherty running for Jed Jerko, who's not. I mean, he's obviously not fast, but I don't know. Just a just a weird, again, strange is he, sequence. Is he slightly uh, hurt, like hurt in a way where it doesn't impact his hitting, but he can't run as well? Talking about Jericho here. Uh, I always wonder about his legs because that seems to inevitably be the issue with him if he does end up 
on the IL. So I haven't heard anything about that, but uh, maybe. <laughs> well, I'm watching Dexter right now. He has not looked good so far in these first uh, three pitches in this at bat. And uh, it's, it's overly concerning to me, not because I think he's uh, like losing it or anything, but it just happens to coincide with him, you know, going out to lead off. And now, you know, who knows what people are going to say. Uh, but I, I don't think he's had a hit since he's been a leadoff, right? No. Yeah, that's that's an interesting part of this. So, I mean, maybe we start there and talk about the offense. Because, again, we're in a position where we would love to have one particular topic to talk about with this team. But at this point, it's still kind of this mismatch of things that just keep going horribly wrong as far as the month of May. So, basically, we're just going to... I don't know, sort of weave our way through what's going on in the month of May and see where we end up in, you know, 25 minutes or so. But Dex moving to lead off is something that we've talked about a number of times. It's something that I feel like probably should have happened three weeks ago, and it didn't. And now he's there and has done a whole lot of nothing to back that up. So I don't know that I would say even is it fair to be concerned about Dexter Fowler, but it is just another frustrating part of this puzzle to see maybe the right move a little too late. And now it doesn't seem to be working at all. I think it's fair to consider Dexter Fowler a microcosm of the entire offense right now, yeah. and whether or not we should be concerned with the entire offense. One thing I did like what Shil said is when, uh, I think right before the move was made, or maybe right after the move was made, he he basically said, like, look, I don't think lineups are that big of a deal. And he's right. I, I think he is right there. Um, you know, lineups really aren't that big of a deal. Certain Certainly smarter people than me have written um, these articles, I believe. I remember reading one at Beyond the Box Score or other places where they kind of analyze, you know, what really goes into a lineup. And it's probably not as much when compared to the amount of, I guess, complaining or just <laughs> discussing, um, not even complaining, just the discussion that goes into it. Yeah. Anytime the lineup comes out like daily, especially like when Matheny was manager. And I, I don't even know if he was that much different from most managers, but it seemed like we always thought he was just like constantly tinkering with the lineup and having, you know, one guy in one night and then he'd be gone the next night and stuff like that. But I actually like that Schultz said like, look, I don't think the lineup's that big of a deal. But that said, it, it, it was a good move, I think, to move Fowler up there because the way he's been playing and the way he has played for a decent chunk of his career is that of a very good leadoff hitter, which is something Matt Carpenter was not at the time. And Carpenter has kind of rebounded a bit. And I forget who it was, but they – I think it may have been Alan Medlock. I think he said that, you know, I sure do like seeing Carpenter come up in these situations, meaning – there were a few times right after Carpenter went to bat fifth where he was coming up with the runners aboard, which obviously doesn't happen as often when you're batting leadoff. Doesn't happen, obviously, doesn't ever happen um, when you're leading off the game. Uh, so I agree with that, but it sure would be nice if Fowler could, uh, I don't know, play the part a little bit better just so we can stop worrying about that and stop having to, I don't know, listen to other people worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of a larger conversation, I think, which is interesting. We could talk about this as well, um, because it's always that weird line to try to find in baseball where it's the 
right move, even if it doesn't work the way that it's supposed to, even though it seems like then maybe it was the wrong move. You can talk about that with a number of different strategic decisions within a game or within how you, you know, assign roles in any capacity for the players on a roster. But it's interesting to me to have this conversation because, look, we both have said, hey, this seems like it was the right move with Dexter Fowler, but he's not had a hit since then. So that doesn't make the move necessarily wrong, but it does emphasize the fact that even the right move strategically depends on the execution of the players. And this last week, watching the Cardinals, watching people sort of analyze what's going on, watching people try to place blame for this stretch in the month of May, I've done it myself where one night, you know, you think, oh, well, it's it's clearly Mike Schilt. One night it's, oh, it's definitely John Mozalak. The next night, oh, it's obviously Paul Goldschmidt. Um, you know, it, it, it shifts depending on what happens in the game, which leads me to believe that as many other people have said, this isn't a revolutionary concept. So much of what we complain about and, and try to identify as far as the blame for these rough stretches, it's really on the players to make the adjustments that we can all talk about, that we can all identify. But if they can't execute it, then it doesn't matter who's writing up the lineup or writing the checks either way. No, you're you're right. I, I totally agree. Like this is a player's game when the the team who wins the World Series always has very, very good players. It's never like a team with like bad players, but just like a really good GM and manager. You, you know, that, that team never wins the World Series. Often it's a team with very good players, a good GM and good manager, but not always, but there are always good managers. Uh, there are always good players. Like you don't win without yeah. good players. And so I think it is fair to criticize like the players who aren't performing as they should be performing. Paul Goldschmidt, I think, is the leader of that pack. That was nice to see him. I wasn't watching yet. I had turned the game on, but he hit a home run in the in the uh, top of the first, as I understand it. That's correct? Yeah. Okay, so yep. that's nice to see. Uh, but yeah, in this whole month of May, the Cardinals, I believe I looked at it today, they were slugging, uh, I don't even remember what it was, but it was... Second worst in the National League, I believe, after the Marlins. Uh, don't quote me on the Marlins, although that sounds like a pretty good uh, safe, <laughs> safe bet, right? I do know that yeah. they were um, 14 out of 15 teams, though. And that's not what we expected from this team, uh, both on paper before the season started and after those first 30 games, uh, as you alluded to when we started. Like, the offense was great. And it was great because one, Goldschmidt was hitting a lot better then. You know, he was still striking out a lot. He's been striking out a lot all season. Um, but he was also hitting a ton of home runs. And, you know, Paul DeYoung was going nuts. Uh, Colton Wong's, you know, first two weeks after the season started were, were great. Uh, Ozuna went crazy during April. And now everyone has kind of cooled off. And we can't backstop that with good pitching. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so if we don't have... I, you know, I feel like there's just a lot of pressure on this offense to do well, because if they don't, then what's going to happen is what we've seen in this month of May, which has just been awful. I, it's, I think it's the worst month that I can remember. I, I, I'm sh I could go back and find a, a worse month. I don't know when that was, though. I'm, I'm sure someone else has mentioned it at some point. 
seven and sixteen coming into today's game. So yeah, I was gonna say you mentioned the idea of falling below five hundred on the year. Well, <laughs> don't spend too much time looking at the uh, the record in the month of May then, because that is exceptionally depressing when you uh, realize just how few games they've won in this last just about a month. But um, to your point, a lot of that has stemmed from the pitching. Although I think for a long time, I was, I was very much in the the camp that was, this is all on the pitching and we always knew it was going to be you. And I have talked about that since this show started that the starting pitching was probably going to be the biggest area of concern. And it has been without question. I think the the hot and cold nature of the offense has sort of balanced those scales a little bit, but the starting pitching still seems to be the root of most of that. Now, I will say Jack Flaherty has looked a lot better in this last stretch. Um, they've gotten much better outings from Dakota Hudson, which still seems like it's inevitably going to fall apart at some point to me, but maybe that's just the cynicism (laughs) sneaking out. Um, I feel like Adam Wainwright kind of is what he is. And as a fifth starter, that's fine. As long as you have four other guys that are better than that. Um, Miles Michaelis still confuses me a little bit. I'm not really sure what I expect to happen there. And this is the conversation that we keep having. This rotation just has too many question marks. And Jack Flaherty being better is great, but Jack Flaherty being better isn't enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just... It's just in this day and age with just the way the... How lively the baseball is. Um, they just don't strike out enough batters. I'm talking about the starting rotation and they walk, you know, they just have an awful uh, strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, and it's, that's just a bad recipe. I think it's the worst in the national league, if I recall. And, and that should give you an idea, you know, where they stand in FIP and, you know, any other sort of predictive metrics you want to look at. And, you know, that's just not a good recipe. If you, if you want to win consistently, you, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why, I think there's a couple of reasons why sometimes people spare the players of blame when maybe they shouldn't. Uh, one is because I think sometimes people think like, well, if I blame the players and I'm not being pro labor, um, which I don't feel that way. I think you can be very pro labor and also be mad at Paul Goldschmidt for not hitting home runs. <laughs> that's, that's sort of where I am. Two, I also think it's a lot easier to get rid of a manager than it is to get rid of a first uh, Paul Goldschmidt. It's a lot easier to get rid of someone like, uh, and I'm not advocating this, believe me. Um, it's a lot easier to get rid of, you know, a, a GM than it is um, a player. Um, like, because kind of like what we said earlier, this is a player's game. You want to keep your good players. And if you think there's a problem, it's probably less risky to tinker with your, um, you know, tinker with your front office than it might be with your players. Um now, obviously, that's not the case when it comes to the pitching staff, which obviously needs something to be done. You know, there, there's no mystery here. Uh, it's just not a good staff. And they really do need to do something, I feel like, if they have any illusions of competing down the road. But, like, I don't know. When it comes to Shill, I, I think, I guess, more critical of him than I, I think most. Um, after the game on Sunday, uh, I had one of those moments where I was like, should I tweet this? Should I not? You know, it's one of those, like, do I... It's just something I want to tweet. Uh, and usually when I'm having that debate, that debate, I almost 100% do not tweet. <laughs> like that's a rule. Like if I have to think about it, I don't do it. But I just went ahead. It was a, uh, it was a picture of Joe Girardi. And I, 
just kind of smiling. And I wasn't implying like they should fire. It was just kind of a joke. I wasn't implying like they should fire uh, Shill and try and hire Girardi. I think it was more of my point, kind of what I was making last week, which is I didn't love the process of how he was hired, how there was never a real managerial search um, before they settled on Schilt. And I think we shouldn't overlook the fact that there are only 30 of these jobs. Like it is a privilege to have one of these jobs. And if you're, you know, if you, if you're, if look, if you make one mistake, you know, everyone makes one mistake and no one's going to kill you for that. But if, if you do things that call that are, I don't know, that any reasonable person can call into judgment, then that's the exact sort of criticism that you deserve and that you sign up for when you take one of those 30 jobs. And so I just almost feel like that sort of stuff comes with the territory when you're an MLB manager. You know, baseball is interesting in that it's almost its entire fan base is people who are actually really intelligent about the game. You know, I feel like I was having this conversation the other day about the NBA uh, and and how it compares. I mean, I feel like an average sports fan who maybe isn't super invested into the entirety of breaking down NBA you know, games and statistics and and plays and all of that can sit down and watch baseball or watch basketball rather know what's going on, enjoy the excitement of the game, maybe casually root for a team. I feel like most baseball fans, and certainly there are some much more casual fans, but most baseball fans know enough about the game that there's naturally going to be that criticism because people are so invested and so aware of maybe what should happen (laughs) uh, as far as the game breakdown on paper, but not everyone can, you know, play that role in one of those 30 positions where you're actually getting paid to uh, to make those decisions, not just do it from your couch at home. So I do think that's an interesting part about baseball is that there's a, a fan base that wants more of an answer than, well, that's just baseball when things don't go well. And we've heard a little bit of that from Mike Schilt in this last stretch, although in his defense, maybe defense is a little bit strong, but I don't know how many ways you can say... <laughs> We're just playing bad right now. <laughs> um, but there, there's people want more than that as well. So I'm not really sure what his answers should be at this point, because. And here's the other point of that. Before real quick, um, it's really easy to say Paul Goldschmidt needs to get better against fastballs. I don't know what that process looks like, but it's obviously not as easy as just waking up and saying, "Well, today I'm going to hit fastballs better." So. There's a process here that it's if it was easy, anyone be, would be able to do it, and not anyone can. Totally. And we had this, I guess, exchange, this conversation on Twitter with regard to Shill, and that's the biggest issue with his team is what we already talked about, the starting pitching, and that's beyond his control. Um, like the best manager, um, you know, Earl Weaver, who, you know, Larusa, whoever, would be struggling with this team with this staff. Um, and I think that goes for um, great pitching coaches like Dave Duncan as well. So I, I'm certainly not like of my list of grievances with the 2019 Cardinals. Shill is definitely not at the top of my list. Um, <laughs> but I do want to talk about, I think what drove me nuts on Sunday and it turned out not to be a big deal. So maybe it isn't a big deal, but I still tend to think it is. And that's that Molina all of a sudden, 
was having trouble gripping the bat. And to me, with how much attention was given to it, not just when he first came up to bat, I believe, whatever it was at the fourth inning, I don't remember quite when it was. And, you know, there was a pretty long break as the trainer came out and everything. But but throughout the game, I mean, he was constantly messing with his hand. There was clearly something wrong. I thought it was a bad, bad choice by Schilt to leave him in there. One, because we actually have a pretty decent backup right now. And two, Yachty's pretty close to indispensable for this team. And, you know, one of those weeks when, when you were when you were away for work and, and Ben Godar was on, he made an interesting comment about La Russa and how like the first thing La Russa did when he came in in 96 was he basically benched Ozzie Smith, which takes a lot of guts. And, you know, there's, that's, that's, that's one of those things I could talk about all day. Like the La Russa Ozzie dynamic. I, I kind of believe that they were both right, but, but I think that's a good point. It was him saying like, look, I'm in charge here. And that's kind of what I wanted to see, see from Schilt, regardless of, what Yachty was saying at the time because to me it was a big enough deal that there's no reason for him to keep playing now people might say like well it wasn't a big deal they took x-rays and they were negative well if they took x-rays then just the fact that it necessitated x-rays to me means he shouldn't be in the game and I I really want Schilt not just to be a guy who the players feel like always has their back or whatever but also able to make those calls and I'm not positive we've seen that yet and I want to like preface that with what we see is a, is minuscule um, compared to what like the real people are seeing, meaning the players. So I don't meaning I don't know what's going on behind closed doors, but certainly what's out in front of us, I don't feel like we've seen that yet. Yeah, I would I would mostly agree. Although I would say a couple things um, as far as the the situation with Yadi and the thumb, um, I I felt like. It's hard for me to say uh, after the fact when they knew that what they call it a bruise it was a bruised thumb, which can mean anything in baseball speak. But nonetheless, my my concern is always with Yadi. You know, is it you know some sort of ligament thing? Is it uh, a, the wrist instead of the thumb? Whatever it might be, um, it seemed very clear that he was not in a position initially that he could make much of an impact, and then he was one of the few players in the last couple innings of that game that actually picked up a base hit. So Yachty is going to be Yachty. Um, I think the, the issue that I had with it more than anything is that Matt Wieters is not like, he's fine. (laughs) You can put Matt Wieters out there and feel pretty confident in what you're getting offensively and defensively. It's not like there's a, a massive drop off like there has been last couple of years. Um, that was more of the issue for me because it didn't seem like, and and not to not to minimize even your point that <laughs> the fact that they needed to do X-rays should have been enough, but it, it didn't seem like it was that significant of an issue. But just on principle, it seemed like okay, you you would probably take out just about anyone else in this game at this point. You're you're backup catcher is more than serviceable and has actually been a part of some significant rallies in the limited opportunities he has had. So maybe we don't need to force that situation to continue with Yadier Molina. The second thing though is, and and I realize this isn't entirely a Mike Schultz decision, but moving Michael Waka to the bullpen is not a small thing. I mean, in some regard, what other choice did they have? But they did have a choice. We've seen them 
just kind of keep running guys out there, whether it's Michael Waka or somebody else, and hope for the best because he's our guy. We really believe that he's close or whatever the line is you want to use. So no, I don't think we've seen him have to make an in-game decision that directly affected, say, Adam Wainwright or Yadier Molina, um, particularly guys like that, even, you know, Paul Goldschmidt to some extent, guys that have that uh, that that street cred in the game that would make it a little harder to be the enforcer and take them out of the game. But I do think there's a little less of the I'm going to believe in my players above my own ability to perceive that there's a problem <laughs> like we have seen in the past. Yeah, and speaking of um, not to move away from from your point, but you brought up Waka. How do we think he's? I guess not. How do we think he's going to be used? How often do we think we're going to see him? Ever? <laughs> I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, I, I, honestly, it feels feels a little bit like a wasted roster spot right now. Um, because my issue with it is there's no real opportunity to know if Michael Waka is going to be effective as a bullpen arm, and they're not playing games right now where you have enough leeway to make that choice. You know, they can't throw him out there and think, well, he's been a starter. He's been good when he's good, but he's really bad when he's bad. So let's see what happens. They don't have that sort of space right now. And so I don't really know what the right scenario is to use Michael Waka in. And when that's the case, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's a hard it's a hard sell to sort of justify that roster spot because there's no real clear way to use it. Yeah. I I don't know what to do either. And I, you know, I've never seen a player and for very good reason, but I've never seen a player get so much mileage out of kind of his first foray into the league in 2013. (laughs) I mean, almost every start he's made since then, they will at some point talk about how quickly he came out of gates and, um, how great he was, you know, a lot of people talk about the the postseason, you know, the start in Pittsburgh when he, I think, what, took a no-hitter in the eighth? Is that how far he took that? And then, mm-hmm. uh, you know, went up against Kershaw twice and then pitched a great game two in the World Series. But, you know, leading into that, he, he came as close to pitching a no-hitter against the Nats. I, I think that was like the yeah. last week of the se- last week of the season. Closer than basically anyone uh, I can recall, I guess since Wa- well, you know Walker last year actually took one into the ninth yeah. and lost it on the first batter. <laughs> I really wanted that for him, but yeah, he's gotten so much mileage out of that 2013. Um, but, but I get it; like it's it's tough to say goodbye to him, um, and it's just it's just not fair. Uh, you know, injuries are just not fair. Um, you know, they're mm-hmm. not evenly distributed to to every player. You know, some people. Some players just have good luck. Some people just have bad luck. And he's had about as bad of luck as you can imagine because, you know, 2014, he was very solid that first half of the season until he got hurt. And, you know, he really, I guess 2015, he was, he had another good season, but it still always felt like it was very close to falling apart, even when he was good after Mm -hmm. that, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah. I, I don't know quite what it was but no it's sad I, I i hope something somehow works out well for him whether it's in the bullpen with the cardinals or on another team uh 
um, next season when he hits free agency or whatnot. But yeah, I really don't know what they're going to do with him, how often we're going to see him, but I'm kind of curious. Well, the Cardinals are at this point three outs away from dropping the opener to the Philadelphia Phillies after taking that early three nothing lead. Again, we seem to always circle back to the pitching, but the fact that they only scored in the first inning is concerning as well. So when you look at this terrible stretch in the month of May, I don't know, Alex, what do you make of any of this? Are, Are they actually just a bad team? And that is the responsibility of the front office for putting together a roster that can't win? Or is this just a really weird when it rains, it pours literally and figuratively in baseball over the course of a, a month stretch. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, they're definitely not this, right? Like there's no way they are this bad. Um, right. Even with the pitching being as big of a problem as it is. Um, so I'm trying to think, and I'm going to ask you this question as soon as I come up with my own answer, but I'm trying to think if I could predict now, how many wins this team will end up with when it's all said and done. I think I would say something like 85. I think that's a nice, very safe answer. Um, and even though this team has not looked like an 85 win team for about three, win- for about three weeks now, but you know, it's not going to continue at this pace. The hitters will, the hitting will get better. It just has to, the pitching Something's going to change. Obviously, it already started with Waka. Uh, bullpens are so fluid that, you know, who knows. But, you know, I, you know, I think until the Cardinals return to the playoffs, they're going to dance around every uh, win total uh, above, you know, in the 80s until they got them all. So we've had, what, 86, 80, what, 3, and then 88. How many, how many wins did they have in 2017? 83, right? Do you remember? Uh, I yeah, don't remember. Right. I'd have to I, look. So I think 86 in 2016, 83 in 2017. I'm pretty sure that's it. 88 last year. So yeah, I'm going with 85. <laughs> um, they're going to get all of the 80s until then. They uh, uh, <laughs> since that's what we always talk about that they're they're a team that built to win in the high 80s or or whatever. Yeah. So I, I like 85. How many wins do you th- do you see this team with when it's when it's done? So when you when you threw this question out earlier, I I sort of kind of hesitantly thought, okay, well, I don't know, 89, because I feel like they still are capable of going on a run offensively. But watching this game tonight, I'm rethinking everything (laughs) as far as how many wins they have in them, because it's just I do think they're capable of going on a run. I think that Matt Carpenter and Paul Goldschmidt and Marcelo Zuna and Dexter Fowler can all be better than they've been in the last week. And I mean, Paul Goldschmidt has looked better as of late, still just not what we expect of him. Um, So because of all of that, I do think they have more of the offensive ability that we saw in that 20 and 10 stretch. I just don't know what it's going to take for them to put that all together consistently. So I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a couple a couple wins off of that. We'll drop it to eighty seven and call it good. <laughs> is this like Price is Right? If you go over, then you you automatically lose. It's not, it's not, okay. So all right. So maybe Probably. I should have gone lower, but I'll say one. I guess I can't say one <laughs> since uh, they already have uh, what twenty six. But but yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I don't know. It's it's one of the weirder teams I can remember that the Cardinals have had. And yeah, I, I think 
when we get to the trade deadline, although I guess we, we've said this last couple of years and there hasn't been much activity, but I really think this year could be interesting. What do you think it'll take? We didn't talk about this, so I'm just going to throw it out there. What do you think it will take from this team for the Cardinals to start selling off pieces at the deadline instead of trying to bring someone in? Uh, well, well, who do they sell off? Like, let's see, Ozuna, I guess, would be someone because he's going to be a free agent mm-hmm. and who knows, maybe you could somehow get something um, for him. Uh, let's see. Does anyone want Matt Carpenter right now? And I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just like, I, I think Paul DeYoung would have the highest uh, potential to bring back a return, right? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, only because I've never seen the Cardinals do it. I don't know what it would take right. them to to <laughs> to tear it da- to kind of tear it down or whatnot. And frankly, I don't really want to see it because I do feel like there's enough talent on here on this team to to mess with it and somehow figure out a way through, uh, whether that's this year or, or next year or whatnot. But that's not what you asked. You asked what would it take. Um, I, I think they would really have to be out of it by by the all-star break and and that's so much harder to do now with the second wild card um but and and this is what i was thinking about earlier uh when i was trying to think of their like win total i'm like when are we going to have like an easy stretch in the season there just like aren't any uh there just aren't (laughs) Mm -hmm. that many bad teams in the national league uh you know there aren't there aren't that many stretches where you can just like feel like you can bank wins that's why losing that game to kansas city was so disappointing uh, last week and three or four at home to Pittsburgh. Uh, you know, I know Pittsburgh's neck and neck with us right now in the standings, but they have like a minus 50 something run differential or I may have exaggerated that a little bit, but they're not good or at least they're not as good as their record is right now. Uh, and speaking of records right now, Cardinals are now under 500. They just lost uh, four to three. My MLB TV just unceremoniously said, you are done watching this. Thank you for watching. <laughs> um, thank you for that. I didn't want to watch any more of it. Um, so, yeah, I really don't know what it would take. What do you think? I don't I, – I think what you said is sort of where I am. I don't know what that looks like because I've never seen it happen. And I don't – Man, I don't. I've, we've we've seen some really rough stretches leading into the All Star break, and they've been pretty resolute to not tear it down, but instead opt for minor changes. I think what would be more interesting to me is if this is a team that's still kind of hanging around in the division at the All Star break, but it's clear that they're like a a big kind of splashy move away. I don't even know what that is right now, quite honestly. I mean, I think it has to be pitching. It has to be starting pitching. That would be the the big addition for this team. I would be curious if after talking as much as they did about how this year matters and signing Paul Goldschmidt to the extension, talking about where they want to go moving forward with this team, if they then just don't do anything and let them sort of hover around that 500 mark, I don't know. I, I feel like that's a, a pretty precarious place to be as far as, you know, where you're trying to go with this organization. So I don't know what it looks like for them to be far enough out of it to tear it down. But I'm curious how close they would need to be, how desperate they would need to feel in order to really go after something at the All-Star break, because that's not that's not what John Moselak has ever really done. You know, you know, one thing I just thought of that I think it's too much play sometimes um, 
when this discussion is had is that you know the the Cardinals do it right they 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 try to get that sweet spot of 88 90 wins and then you can you know if you sneak in the playoffs and anything can happen um I sort of disagree with the anything can happen part. Um, certainly, we've seen that happen before. Like, I guess 2014 would be the best example when two wildcard teams went to the World Series, uh, that being the Giants and Royals. But last year, the Red Sox, who uh, won 108 games and won the World Series. The year before that, the Astros, a uh, monster team, won the World Series. The year before that, that crazy good Cubs team. More, more often than not, the team that has the best chance is the best team. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't feel like these, yeah. like, whether it's the Rockies last year or or whoever, this idea that if you just kind of sneak in there, then, you know, and get hot. Yeah, it can certainly happen. But I would much rather take my chances with a with a great team winning the division that doesn't even have to play that, you know, play in game, you know, versus versus just trying to, you know, hope you can, you know, strike magic like we did in 2011. Uh, so I, I think that's a bit of an overrated, I guess, meme or, or whatever. Yeah. But it it certainly feels real, especially with that second wild card. Like that really did change things. Mm-hmm. Whatever the case, I don't want the Cardinals to do anything in terms of like tearing the team down because I actually have tickets to see them and like on like August twenty third or something against the Rockies. <laughs> It'll be my first time to see them in St. Louis since Game Two of the two thousand fifteen NLDS. So, and that's actually when everything started to go wrong. Like with the entire franchise, so maybe I can like, maybe. yeah, I need to return and like reverse court. reverse yeah. that reverse the accent, you know, whatever Superman did with the, like where he reversed the rotation rotation yeah. of the Earth. Yeah, maybe that's what maybe that's yeah. what this will take. There's a whole other line of conversation here that I really sort of a rabbit hole I would like to dive down, but I feel like it would take a whole other show to do it. So I'm just going to throw it out there and we can maybe talk about it next week. But you saying that about having tickets later in the season reminded me of this, that I'm this your your rant was uh, about Cardinals fans a couple weeks ago. This is my rant about Cardinals fans. Um, yes, I-, I get the idea that. Well, the the organization and the ownership isn't going to change anything if they're still selling out games. Listen, I get that. I think it's a really bad take to say that fans should stop going to games in order to force the hand of the organization. I just think I just think asking people to stop being fans is a bit absurd. And while I think there maybe is some merit to if the business isn't making money, they'll change something about how they do business. I just think it's, you know, there's this whole sort of underlying tone when things are going wrong with the team that seems to suggest it's the fault of the fan base for continuing to be fans that things continue to go wrong with the team. And I'm just, I'm just tired of hearing that. (laughs) I'm tired of hearing people you know, sort of condemn other fans for continuing to support the team that they're fans of because the team's actually bad right now. And um, I don't really know where else to go with that, but I'm just going to throw it out no, there. <laughs> I, I totally agree. I hate it when people tell other people how to be fans. Uh, I also do think it's a little different for us because we don't live in St. Louis. So right. if I get the chance to go to St. Louis and see a Cardinals game, I don't care if they're zero and 100. I'm doing it, you know, because I don't get the chance yep. to do that very often. Now, if you're someone who lives in St. Louis and can go at any time, I think that kind of changes the, I guess, the the outlook a little bit. Um, I certainly, if I live in St. Louis and, and can go whenever I wanted to, I would probably go a little less often than I would if 
if the team is bad and, and making a lot of decisions I don't agree with. And, and if I feel like they're taking the fans for granted, but no, I, I totally agree with what you said. Like, I, I like going to baseball games. I want to go to baseball games. Um, so if I get the chance, I'm absolutely going to go. And I think if other fans feel the same way, they should continue to go. Um, I guess that's the best way to get like DeWitt's attention or, or, or whatever. Um, but there are certainly other ways as well. Uh, Is it though? I don't know. I don't, I don't really know. think enough I mean, people are going to well, stop oh, going so, to games that it's going to hurt his pocketbook. Any. So that reminds me of something. <laughs> so I've heard a lot of people say that, like, ooh, the best thing that could happen to the Cardinals is that the Blues are doing what they're doing right now. And I, I get that. I sort of see where people are coming with that. But I also kind of disagree. Like, if – and again, I am nowhere near being the, being in a position that Bill DeWitt's in. But if I'm Bill DeWitt and I'm watching the Blues do what they're doing and I'm hearing people say, like, this is a hockey town now. Like, you know, no, you know the people aren't even thinking about the Cardinals. That would drive me up the wall. You know, this is St. Louis. Um, I know other people hate it when people say this, but this is like one of the best baseball towns in America. In America, which is a country that loves their baseball more than they love hockey. You know, it's not like it used to be where like baseball mattered so much more than the other sports, but this is still more of a baseball country than hockey. I think we can all stipulate to that. So if if I'm, yeah, if, if I'm DeWitt or if I'm anyone associated with the Cardinals, that would drive me crazy. And that would motivate me to be like, no, like, and it's not because you're not happy for the blues, like that you don't want this sort of um, good reciprocal relationship with the blues. You absolutely do. But you also are like, we're still the freaking Cardinals. We're not losing our position (laughs) to the hockey team. Um, And that says nothing about St. Louis as a hockey town, which it's obviously a very great hockey town, but it's one of the best base, if not the best baseball town in the country. And yeah, so I, I kind of disagree with that, with that idea that the Cardinals should be thankful that the Blues are doing this. If anything, it's exposing them. I totally agree. And to add to that, uh, business-minded person, the Blues just sold out every ticket they made available for a watch party for games one and two of the Stanley Cup final. There's not even a game being played on that ice in the building and they're selling it out. So, hi, there are ways to make more money (laughs) if you're good at what you do and if you're winning games. That shouldn't, it shouldn't require fans to stop going to games for a business-minded person to see, hey, actually, we can make more money if we're really good at what we do. That's sort of where, I guess my point comes from that I just, I find it very frustrating for people to say, Hey, you should stop participating in this thing that you enjoy because they're not good at it right this now. Is good. This is like the, <laughs> just is the rant episode. I like, this is a good episode. Yeah. Well, and we keep getting longer and longer by going and one other thing, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I- <laughs> but, um, I will let you get to the uh, the batting title update, oh, which is probably oh, 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 oh. as disappointing yeah, so, as that game just was, and uh, any chirp of the week you may have. <laughs> all right, so you know, you know, when I first brought up that batting title, that was like three weeks ago. Well, since then, Paul DeYoung has a, in seventy plate appearances is batting one eighty nine. Um, yeah, he's now, and this was before today's game. He came in today's game hitting two ninety five, which was good for twentieth. Um, so. Jose Martinez is at fifth is fifteenth 
in the league with a 304 average. But you know what? Until one of them is back in the top 10, I probably don't need to call attention to this um, anymore, especially since Cody Bellinger is now uh, at 383. So he's, yeah, he's done. He's not going to get back up to 400. But he does have the chance to be the first person to hit uh, 380 since Tony Gwynn in 1994. So I guess that could be fun to watch. Larry Walker hit 379 in 1999. Um, That would be the closest um, since Gwynn. But Chirp of the Week, since we're playing the Phillies, I was thinking about that wonderful uh, Game 5 and the NLDS in 2011. Um, And that's a game that's kind of, for me at least, taken on a bit of a different meaning um, ever since Roy Holiday died. Uh, because he he was obviously on the mound that night against Chris Carpenter, and they both pitched pitched the game of their lives. You can almost make an argument that Holiday was almost um, as good, if not better, than Carpenter. And you know what's crazy about that game and that postseason is during the World Series, an inner circle Hall of Fame player, someone who's on the Cardinals Mount Rushmore, hit three home runs in a World Series game, Tara, and that's probably what the third most famous game from that postseason? you know <laughs> you know obviously game six is is number one but i think game, i would rank game five in the nlds ab- ahead of that game i'm talking yeah. about the, the, the three pujols um home run game um and, and because that's how good game five was um but anyway i wanted to think about uh so the way that game five worked is if, if memory serves rafael fair call for call let off the game with a triple and then he was promptly uh, driven in by a Skip Schumacher double. Yes, Skip Schumacher was batting second uh, for that team. And then the Cardinals didn't score again for the rest of the game. And they were basically hanging on for dear life. But uh, luckily, the, uh, the uh, Phillies didn't score any runs. Um, there were some close calls. There was uh, like Yachty threw out Chase Utley at second. That was um, a great Yachty moment. But yeah, and, and Cardinals won. I, I, I think it was one of the greatest games I've ever watched um, from beginning to end. Um, but I kind of want to look at the opposite and look at a one-run game that the Cardinals won where the run, instead of scored at the very beginning of the game, was scored at the very end. So using Baseball References play index, I looked at games that the Cardinals won one nothing that went into extra innings. Um, and I, I only took the search back to 1980 um, just because I didn't want to go uh, too deep into this. And the most recent game, was 2010 when the Cardinals beat, uh, where is it? The Cardinals beat the Rockies 1-0 in a 10-inning game. More interesting, I saw one on July 4th, 1980. And the reason why I picked this one to talk about is because it was also against the Phillies. So July 4th, 1980, 4th of July, the Cardinals beat the Phillies 1-0 in the 10th inning. And it was one on a George Hendrick walk-off home run um, after both teams were scoreless. throughout um and i always love looking at these games because like you know the pitchers because uh, you know especially these games from like the 80s um even the early 90s like the pitchers it's always like once it's a, when it's a 12 inning game like the winning team the pitcher it's always like a pitcher who's gone all 12 and the other team the pitcher went like you know 11 runs and the 11 inning <laughs> excuse me and then they brought in a relief pitcher for like one inning uh, you know it's way different from the way we use bullpens today you know that was that was when men were men tara did you know that Mm, um, yes. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've heard. That's what people say. <laughs> um, but yeah, so George Hendrick won this game with a walk-off home run in the bottom of the 10th. And apparently it was a bomb. 
Um, I wouldn't know because MLB makes it very hard to find their content. Um, it sure would be cool if like every baseball reference um, game had uh, direct clips to like the highlights of that game, but MLB um, is not does not make things easy like that. But I found a very old Viva Alberto's post from 2008. So this was like right when soon after Viva Alberto started. And it's a post written by the founder of Viva Alberto's actually. And he talks about this home run. So I'm just going to read about what he says. He says, I know George Hendrick once hit a home run off the face of the stadium club at Bush on July 4th, 1980. I'm pretty sure it was this one ending a game that had been deadlocked at 0-0 for almost 10 innings. This happened long before the ball and or the players were juiced when it was virtually impossible to hit a home run into upper deck at Old Bush. I think only Willie Stargell and Mike Schmidt had done it up to that point. Hendricks's blast didn't quite reach the upper deck, but only because the windows of the stadium club got in the way. The ball still seemed to be rising when it bounced off the plexiglass, and I saw it in person. Um, so, yeah, that's it. If anyone has video of this home run, I would love to see it, so please send it to me. But, yeah, 1-0 win against the Phillies on July 4th, 1980. Um, same score, but done a bit of a different way from the 1-0 win against the Phillies in Game 5 in the 2011 NLDS. That's your trip of the week. Emphasizing that starting pitching matters. <laughs> So we've come full circle, everyone. And unfortunately, the Cardinals seem fairly satisfied with their starting pitching at the moment. We will see what happens there. Well, once again, we've gone from not really having a whole lot to say to having a lot of extra things to say. So hopefully you can be miserable along with us as we watch the Cardinals at this point. This week is a significant one as despite losing the first game to the Phillies, it is the Phillies who have been quite good so far this season. And then the Cubs at Bush stadium, which if you think about it, that Cubs series is what started this spiral. So maybe Mm -hmm. also like your trip to Bush can reverse something. The Cardinals playing the Cubs again can reverse whatever this mystery curse is as far as the month of May goes, but we will be back next week to talk about all of it. Make sure that you are following us on Twitter. As always, I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at Alex card 79. We love hearing your comments and your Uh, questions or your um, additions to any of the ranting we might have done tonight. So feel free to dive into that conversation throughout the week as you're listening to the show. Subscribe to it or follow it on whatever your favorite podcast listening service might be. And if you want to share it with a friend, I'm not going to be mad at you if you do that. Uh, Just make sure that you let them know they can always jump in on that conversation as well. So for Alex, I'm Tara. We'll talk to you next week.